Well, before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. And let me call it out to you in Hebrew and you call back to me in Hebrew. We'll do the same in English. Baruch Atah Adonai. Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Asher Kidshanu. Bamisvatav. Vetsivanu. Laasok. Badivrei. Torah. Oh, you did good. And I hope all the people listening on the podcast joined in with this. This is a chance, podcasters, for you to pray along with us. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I'm going to talk this morning about how to avoid getting trapped in a either or argument when it's a trick rather than a necessary situation. Some days people will call it a false binary. You've got to choose between two things when you really don't. Others will identify it as a false dichotomy. That's good for all you philosophers and logicians. But it's basically this, when we're presented with two choices that seem like they're opposites or mutually exclusive and we're told to choose one, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't fall into the trap and we shouldn't fall into the trick. We should choose both. I'll give an example which would be better to have, righteousness or joy? Both, yeah, you're doing very well. That's right, yeah, some of you were here last night, and it's like, you had a practice run, you know. Because religious folk, you know, they can think, oh, righteousness, that sounds better. I'll go with righteousness. And then somebody will say, oh, but it's a trick, so, It must not be righteousness, it must be joy. I'll go with joy. It's not a trick, it's practice. The kingdom of God is not a matter of what you eat or drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's just say this word and, and, righteousness and peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If, if you think you have to choose one, you didn't understand the message. The message is they're all available for you and they belong to you. You serve a God who wants you to have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so if you're against the Holy Spirit, you're gonna have a sour life, a miserable life, because the Holy Spirit is, is the way that God brings righteousness, peace, and joy together to us. In our travels, when we were doing large-scale outreaches to the Jewish people all over the former Soviet Union, we often were looking for help from local churches that wanted to see Jewish people like come into spiritual freedom and joy together. And... Uh, Sometimes they struggled because we enjoyed dancing. 
And in their cultures, their religious culture, dancing is dangerous. You know, because it could lead to playing cards <laughs> or something. <laughs> but I remember one group, all their, all their uh, denominational leaders had a meeting to discuss, could they even function as ushers to help because there would be dancing. And they had like a colloquy and debate among themselves. And they came to this conclusion. It's permitted for the Jewish people to dance because the scripture says that. But we can't participate because it could destroy our you know, our ways. And I thought, wow. We didn't see that one coming. But people sometimes, they make choices, they don't think, how can we have everything that we need from God? How can we have everything that we need? And they get trapped in either or arguments that aren't necessary. Now, one of the reasons I want to talk about this is so that you can get beyond either or arguments when you need to. And when it comes to salvation, it's important to get beyond either or because we have a part to do and God has a part to do. This is because God enters into covenant. He makes covenant with us. And you could think of covenant in the most simple ways as a um, defined agreement, a serious agreement between two different parties. Have you ever written a check and forgot to sign it and you give it to a person and they have to come back to you and say, you know, I need you to sign this because I can't cash it. It seems normal then to sign it, right? And how, how many of you can remember buying a house and did you ever count how many times you had to sign the paperwork? And how many times you had to initial in how many different places? And even if you do it digitally now, because there's a digital way of closing on uh, real estate, even if you do it digitally, it's a lot of digital signatures and a lot of digital initials. And if you don't sign, you don't complete the transaction. That's the way it is. You have to sign. Well, in the same way, God makes covenant and he's provided and signed on his line. He's provided the terms, the conditions. He's provided the necessary um, payment, which, which is an atoning sacrifice that he provides that we can't provide. And what he looks for is that we'll sign on and we'll initial all the terms where we need to and we'll say, okay, I'm in this covenant too. Now, if you don't sign on, even though the covenant exists, even though you know about it, it's not yours. Until you execute the agreement, it's not yours. In the same way, you get, don't cash a check unless it's signed. In the same way, you can't buy a house unless all the paperwork's signed. You can't make covenant with God unless you figuratively sign on the line. Unless you willfully 
put your name to the agreement and say, Lord, count me in. Lord, count on me. Lord, I'm with you. This is who I'm belonging to. I accept what you've done. Unless we do that, we don't get the benefits. So God provides everything necessary except for the one part we have to do, which is we have to agree and accept the terms and receive and welcome those. Do you see that? God requires this of us. And I, I think that this week's Torah portion helps us take a look about what's required of us and what's provided by the Lord so that we get our parts right and we get God's part right. That way we avoid the either or arguments that aren't necessary about free will and sovereignty and about how do you experience salvation? Does it just happen to you or do you willfully enter into it? There's a way through it. Well, we're gonna look at something that may not be completely obvious at first, but turn to Exodus chapter 27 and we'll look at verse 20 and 21 together. Moses is given this command by the Lord, you are to order the people of Israel to bring you pure oil of pounded olives for the light and to keep a lamp burning continually. So who has the responsibility to bring the oil? The people do, right? God's not gonna do that. That's not his job. God doesn't make oil like this. Of course, you, I know some of you are saying, yeah, but a Hanukkah. Or what about that widow and her jar of oil that get? Exactly, those are miracles from the Lord, right? And if it were the normal way that oil is provided, it wouldn't be a miracle, it'd just be that's the way it is. It's not the normal way, it was a miracle. It was exceptional, can we agree on that? So the normal way is if you want olive oil, you have to have olives, right? And you have to get those olives, you have to crush them in the right way, you have to collect the oil that comes off of them, you then have to let it settle so that you can have it pure, and then you have pure olive oil. But what if you think God does everything and so your job is to go to an olive tree with an empty jar <laughs> and to hold that jar up as I, by faith, this jar is being filled. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. This is saying something different. This says, you tell the people to bring you pure oil of pounded olives for the light and to keep a lamp burning continually. That's their work to do. God makes olive trees. We make olive oil. That's our work. What's the best olive oil? What's the abbreviation? E-V-O-O. All you cooking channel and smart folk know that. The Lord's not looking for fake olive oil. You know, it says olive oil and then it's mixed with safflower oil. 
or sunflower oil or canola oil. He's not looking for pomace, which is like third-rate squeezings of the oil. He wants what? E-V-O-O, first pressing pure, the good stuff. That's what he's looking for. And it makes sense that he would make this request after talking about teruma. The teruma offering is the offering of the best from the top, the first, not what's left over. So whose responsibility is it? to uh, bring that oil, to keep the lamp burning nonstop. It is the responsibility of the people. The Lord says, that's what you do. What I do is I create an earth and I create olive trees, but you'll have to plant them. You'll have to take care of them. You'll have to cultivate this uh, olive grove. You'll have to harvest. You'll have to work. You'll have to gather and crush and collect. That's what you do. Do you see that? It's very clear. Verse 21, Aaron and his sons are to put it in the tent of meeting outside the curtain in front of the testimony and keep the lamp burning from evening till morning before the Lord is to be a permanent regulation throughout all generations of the people of Israel. In other words, don't stop. Keep this in mind all the time. So, in the verses that follow, there's a list of many other items that the Lord says, I want. And he provides some of the raw materials, but not all of them. Some of the raw materials have to be transformed. For instance, the raw material may be linen, but linen is made from flax. Flax has to be grown and then it has to be harvested. Then it has to be beaten until the fibers are separated. Then it has to be prepared so that it can become um, thread or yarn that can be woven. Then it has to be woven and then it has to be cut. Then it has to be sewn. You have to think about this stuff because the people who were receiving the commands had to respond according to how they understood what was going on. So there were garments, there was a breastplate, maybe more than one, vests, robes, tunics, turbans, sashes, and gravestones. Last night I asked, uh, I asked someone who happens to be a geologist, I said, have you ever dug up an engraved stone? And he said, no, there aren't. That's right. You can find a stone, but it'll never be engraved. If it's engraved, it's because someone engraved it. Gold mountings, gold chains. I asked him again this question. Can you like, go to the right place and dig up gold chain? And the answer is no. You can find veins of gold, you can uh, mine that, and then you can uh, do all the things that are necessary in order to uh, extract the gold and then purify it, and then you can take the gold and you can work with it and you can make chains, but chains don't make themselves. People make chains. So all of these items that the Lord says he wants require material that he's made as raw material, and then it requires human effort with skill, with uh, great skill, with craftsmanship and artistic ability. 
It requires all that together. And this is a picture of something that's so important. God has his part, we have our part. Our response is to take the parts he's given as resources and then to add our correct effort to those so that they become pleasing gifts back to him. Now we see the same concept at work in the New Testament when Paul is writing to Timothy about Timothy's spiritual ministry. And he makes it clear that it's a combination of human effort and God's grace. (coughs) A lot of people don't understand this. They're caught in an either or argument and they think it's all the Lord. Sometimes I'll thank someone because they did, uh, they, they really did nicely in their service, in their ministry. And, and people will say, it, it's him, it's him. But if I remember right, they did it. <laughs> and so it's kind of a false humility, it can be, when we just say it was the Lord. We can say, thank you, Lord. And we can also say to a person who compliments us, thank you because God knows that we need to add our effort to the things that he gives us. And it's not wrong to recognize that. And that is why Paul is writing Timothy, and in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says this, study to show yourself approved as a workman. That's one translation. Another one is be diligent. Another is put your best effort into this in order to present yourself to God as one who has been approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. It's not just the spiritual gift and calling. Those are important, but they are not sufficient in themselves. Human effort in response is also necessary. Paul understood that. That's why in one place he could say to Timothy, Look, remember this, you might be young, but God called you. Remember this, you may not have all the experience that you need, you think, but God has spoken prophetic words over you and he's, he's imparted spiritual gifts to you. You can do this ministry. So don't be reluctant and don't judge yourself and don't let other people judge you. Do it faithfully. That was Paul's instruction. And then here we are in 2 Timothy 2.15, and he's saying, work hard at this. Put your effort into it. Don't just expect it's going to be automatic. Put your effort into your service, and then it will go well with you. Paul understood that. And if someone said, well, that goes against the scriptures because it's all the Lord. Well, Paul was one of the writers of the scriptures. I think he knew what he was talking about. I read somewhere that Paul was an apostle. I think he knew what he was talking about to Timothy. And so if your theology has fallen into an either or, like it's all the Lord, or it's I will save myself, if you've fallen into that, that's a trap, it's a trick. Once you recognize it, you shouldn't buy it anymore. Paul didn't buy it. He thought differently. So if your theology is broken in this area, fix it. It wasn't just Paul who understood this. Peter understood it as well. 
2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3 and going to verse 9, Peter is expressing his understanding of how God supplies the necessary resources and what effort we need to provide. So let's look at the first few verses, starting in verse 3. Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Who's got the glory and the excellence here? It's the Lord. Who gives us everything we need for life? It's the Lord. It's his divine power and operation. Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowing him who called us. And then verse four, through these, he has given us. Let's just say it. He has given us. Who did the giving? He did. Who's on the receiving end? We are. Very important. Through these, he's given us his precious and magnificent promises so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now that you've escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So that's the first part where Peter is laying out what God has done. And in this way, you can identify how do you participate in God's plan for salvation? Well, you recognize what he's done for you and you join yourself to that because salvation requires that you know what God has done for you that you couldn't do for yourself. That's the first part. Now the second part starts in verse five, and it says, for this very reason. Let's say that out loud. For this very reason. Another way you could say that is like this. That's why. That's why. Now look at what he says. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue. Who's responsible to make the effort? We are. It's not God's job to make the effort. Now, I know people who get all confused about stuff like this. And when they're asking for prayer, it's often about something like this. Rabbi, pray for me. I've got a big test coming up, and I need a miracle. (laughs) Why do they need a miracle? They didn't study. They didn't turn in their homework. They didn't attend all the classes. They didn't pay attention. They didn't master the material. Don't forget, toddler parents, the toddlers still belong to you. At 12.30, they belong in your hands. Who's to do this work of making every effort? You and me. We're to do it. You see, God has his part, we have our part. And they work together. But Peter, let's just check this. How many of you think Peter was an apostle? How many of you think that this particular writing is part of the New Covenant Scriptures? All right. I think he knows what he's talking about. Make every effort. 
If you just say it's the Lord, then you remove from yourself responsibility to make every effort. You can act like it's accidental. It's not. Make every effort. Study. Yeah, study all the time that you need. Master the material. I mean, we understand this when we're thinking about other stuff. Imagine that you're facing a serious need for surgery, brain surgery, and some well-meaning visitor comes up to you and says, by faith, I'm a brain surgeon. Probably under your breath, you're saying, by faith, I'm not near you anymore. <laughs> you would know better, right? It would just seem strange. But when it comes to spiritual things in ministry, people get confused. They lose their common sense, the stuff that they already know, and they get lost in theological theory that they heard someone else give, and it's really easy to, to make up any heresy or any error. All you have to do is to isolate a part of a passage that makes your point and ignore everything else. Well, when you do that, you reach wrong conclusions, but you can fool some people by saying it's biblical. No, it's not. It's just words you pulled out of the Bible. For it to be biblical, it has to reflect the full teaching of the scriptures and to, have the carry, to carry the intent and the purpose that the scriptures have. It's required. It's, most of the English words you're gonna use are in your Bible. So you can rearrange them to, to make anything you want, but that doesn't make it biblical just because you got those words out of your Bible or you pull a phrase out of the Bible. To be biblical requires much more than you found a phrase in the Bible that makes your point. Make every effort. Now let's look at this, because it's interesting what this says to do. Make every effort to add to your faith virtue. To add to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. Make every effort to add these things, one by one. It's like a recipe, do you see that? Like, start with this, add this, then this, then this, add these things. Now, people think because many of these are fruits of the Spirit, it's God's job to cause them. It's our job to do our part, make every effort. And look at the logic of it, verse eight. If you possess these qualities and continue to grow in them, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. That's a provocative idea. Peter thought you could be a believer and be ineffective and unproductive. And he wants to explain how can you avoid being in that condition? Here's how you do it. You see what God has done for you and you're really clear about that. And then you see what your part is and you're very clear about that. And then you don't just think about it, but you make every effort to do your part. Make every effort. Make every effort. Sometimes we don't wanna make every effort. We wanna leave it up to chance so that we're not accountable. 
I'm not going to make every effort to develop my self-control because then I might have to exercise. Then I might have to control my eating. Then I might have to be more patient with people, control my emotions. Oh, make every effort. Make every effort. When you say to yourself, I don't want to be ineffective and unproductive, it makes a difference. Verse nine, whoever lacks these traits, I love this passage, is nearsighted to the point of blindness, having forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. You see, the one who doesn't understand what God has done for you and then what's required of you and the effort you have to make is like a person who can't even see what's in front of them close up. They can't even see. They've got what I call 20-20 blindsight. They can't even have retrospective review. You know, some people say there's 20-20 hindsight. You know, you can see clearly anything that's happened. That's not true. I know people who have 20-20 blindsight. They look back, they don't have a clue what happened. And Peter's talking about those people. They're so nearsighted, they're blind, they see nothing about what God has done to save them and nothing about what they are to do in response to that. It's, it's a huge mistake. So he's saying, understand what God has done and then you make every effort to add these virtues to you and then you will be productive. It's such an important idea. You'll do well to study um, in your Bibles, these passages that say, make every effort and see what it speaks about. Because there's a lot of thought that the writers of the scriptures express through this um, idea of making every effort. Some people just, they want the olive oil in the jar to come miraculously. Getting back to the Torah portion and this idea, they don't want to do their part. And Yeshua faced this, and this is why he said to his disciples these important words. The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. You see, that's a very important attitude. What is God looking for? People who will work in the harvest. People who will do the work. The olives are ready to pick, pick them. There are people standing by, beautiful olives. Nice, nice. I'd buy some if I had the money. Pick them, work together, bring in the harvest. This is what the Lord is saying through this. You've got a part to do. He's got a part to do. Be clear about his part and then be clear about our part. And when we do that, you know what? We will add virtue upon virtue. We'll get stronger and stronger. We'll grow greater and greater in the ministry. We'll become more and more effective and more and more productive. And more people will put their trust in the God of Israel and his Messiah. That's the way it works. Make every effort. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and we thank you that you call us to join you, to participate with you. You have saved us from sin. You've rescued us from a kingdom that was ruling over us. 
and evil that was ruling over us and, and the power of death that was ruling over us. And now we have been set free through the great rescue through your son, Yeshua. And for that, we're grateful. Now let it be, Lord, that we add every, every effort that you say is necessary so that we can do our work in a way that pleases you so that we can be diligent, we can study, we can serve, we can add virtue upon virtue together. And in this way, we can have a greater, more wonderful, more effective and productive life that honors you. Give us that heart and that willingness to make every effort. We pray this in Yeshua's name, amen. So I wanna invite you to stand up for the ironic benediction and if you're by yourself, just move. Then you won't be. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Which would you rather have, righteousness or joy? Both. Both. Yes, I want them both. I want them all. Righteousness, peace, and joy. You serve a God who has all of that to offer to you. Yivarechecha adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai panave lecha v'yichunecha, yisa Adonai panave lecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep guard over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace, as you add every effort. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.